Hello and welcome to Stuck in the 90s. We are your weekly nostalgia podcast dedicated to chronicling the years 1990 through 1999. We're still doing that. We are your hosts. My name is Chris Elphick. And I'm Sore Throat. That's like a, that sounds like a Star Wars name almost. Ooh, kind of. No, I'm I'm still Connor, but I also still have a bit of a sore throat, so I apologize. <laughs> that was a very timely cough. I hope the microphone picked that up. I'm sure it did. That's okay, we're rolling with it. It's a cold open. Ooh. Get it? Ah! Now you have to like you have to cut the opening in the, the theme like now. So it's still January, guys. It's pretty cold out. You know, I wish I learned how to properly ice skate back in the 90s. That's not really a thing you can comfortably pick up in adulthood. I've seen lots of videos online of adults who can't skate, and they're always very funny. I'm I'm one of those. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Did you go ice skating in elementary school? Oh, yeah. Did you have to walk? Uh, no, we took a bus there. Actually, that is bullshit. one of my fondest childhood memories is riding absolutely illegally in the back of Corey's dad's big old box van at the time. To skating? Yeah. So we had parent volunteers. Yeah. That's fucked. Like, and you, did you guys go to the, uh... We went to Jack Bell. Yeah. Which is now, uh... Apartments, condo, or like, yeah. uh, townhouses. Subdivisions. Yeah. Or, oh, words. So that was a 1.8 kilometer one-way walk from my elementary school to that arena. So I stopped going after about the fourth grade. It's not that far. Two kilometers, like basically one and a half kilometers. kilometers as a kid is like nothing. No, it's in high school. It's nothing in grade school. I think it's a lot. Carrying skates and then you spend an hour on the ice and then you walk back. You've got a very old man point of view on this. Like that was when you were young and spry. No, high school is when I could have made that walk. Oh my god. Or like, you know, like I walked the most from ages like 15 to 22. That's where you can walk anywhere. I'm so excited about the following five words. You Let's talk about some football. Yeah. 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 My time has come. So as we've mentioned before, things were a bit different in the 90s with the Super Bowl. It was one of the few things that people could reliably look forward to in January until it was shuffled off to the beginning of February come the mid-2000s. So this week, we are going to take a brief look at every single Super Bowl, this is the best, that took place between 1990 and 1999. Then maybe after that, we'll talk about hit clips. We're not. Oh. Next week, maybe. But for your own edification, uh, those were the tiny digital music players that had about a third of a song on each of them. They were very strange. Oh, yeah. I, like, whoever made this was a marketing genius. Oh, yeah. Like, who sells a third of a song to kids and it actually works? So smart. Yeah. Um, this needed more research and the actual Super Bowl stuff ended up being longer than I thought it would be. So maybe hit clips next week. Okay. Well, um, brief aside, Stuck in the 90s is brought to you by this. Hey, Bart, want to trade lunches? No way, dude. I got each of the four food groups. Sandwich group. Cow group, jungle group, Butterfinger group. Hey, there's no Butterfinger group. Oh, contraire, mon frere. The Butterfinger group provides the crunchy peanut butter and chocolatey taste essential for survival. I don't have the Butterfinger group. Looks like you could die of malnutrition, dude. Peanut buttery Butterfinger. It's neato. Butterfinger is actually my favorite chocolate bar, and I'm not just saying that for the purposes of this show. 
It is straight up my favorite chocolate bar. Uh, Hershey's cookies and cream. Also delicious. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk like I watched a 10 minute and 50 second compilation of all of these Butterfinger commercials that took place from 1988 to I think 2001, 2002. There's more there, which we'll get back to. Yeah. You know what? We haven't done any movies or music in a long time. So I think we're going to not talk about movies today, but we are going to talk about music. On February 23rd, 1993, rapper Ice Cube released the second single off of his third solo album, The Predator, called It Was a Good Day. It was a good day. The song is a pretty chill hip-hop song, sampling the Isley Brothers' Footsteps in the Dark and Sexy Mama by The Moments. It describes Ice Cube going about a good day, in which he has breakfast, plays basketball, the cops avoid him, he watches some Yo! MTV raps, plays some craps, dominoes, has sex, smokes some weed, doesn't have to use his AK, and you know, some other stuff too. This does sound, uh, like basketball aside, like a genuinely enjoyable day. Um, But the real question that I have not heard anyone ask until very recently is, what day was that? In 2012, comedian Donovan Strain deduced the day on his Tumblr, which is mercavenue.tumblr.com. Okay, so before we dive in, there are a number of clues here, and they're all based on lyrics. So we'll introduce the clue number, read you the lyric, and then take it from there. So I'll open with clue number one, which was, went to Short Dog's house, they was watching Yo MTV. Also, briefly, this is the whitest thing we have ever done. I just, to, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so Yo MTV Raps first aired August sixth, nineteen eighty eight, and that is the base. Clue two: Ice Cube single today was a good day, or it was a good day, as it was later called, was released on February twenty third, ninety three, as we mentioned. So that is the ceiling. We've got the base. We've got the ceiling. Clue number three. The Lakers beat the Supersonics. So dates between Yo! MTV Rap's air date of August 6, 88, and the release of the single, February 23rd, 93, where the Lakers beat the Supersonics, uh, there's like 12 of these dates, so we're not going to read them all, but that already only, that narrows down to literally a dozen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And he also states that it was a clear day with no smog. So dates that the Lakers won over the Supersonics where there was no smog, November 30th, 88, April 4th, 89, January 18th, 91, or January 20th, 1992. Okay, this is where it gets spicy. Clue five. Got a beep from Kim and she can fuck all night. So beepers weren't adopted by mobile phone companies until the 90s. So dates left where mobile beepers were available to the public are January 18th, 91, or January 20th, 92. So on to Clue 6. Ice Cube starred in the film Boys in the Hood, uh, and it was released late summer of 91, uh, but being filmed late, mid-late 1990, early 91, and Ice Cube was probably busy on set filming the movie January 18th, 1991, too busy to be lounging around on the streets with no plans. So we're reading this verbatim now, ladies and gentlemen. The only date where Yo! MTV Raps was on the air, it was a clear and smogless day, beepers were commercially sold, and the Lakers beat the Supersonic, with Ice Cube being free with no events to attend, was apparently January 20th, 1992. In response to all of this excellent and thorough sleuthing, uh, Vulture reached out to Ice Cube for confirmation of this fateful day, but received only a cryptic two-word reply. Nice try. Ice Cube later elaborated, explaining during an interview with Movie Phone, Best, about 21 Jump Street. 
It's a fictional song. It's basically my interpretation of what a great day would be. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Do you know what I am saying? It's a little of this and a little of that. I don't think you can pinpoint the day, which I I think as a reasonable person, you kind of have to expect, right? Oh, yeah. It's this is fun. Uh, There was also some competing uh, theories with pretty good evidence stating that the good day was November 30th, 88. Um, But this is stuck in the 90s, not stuck in 1988. So January 20th, 1992 is what it was. We did it. Well, we didn't do anything. Happy good day yesterday. Oh, yeah. Some guy on Tumblr did it six years ago. That's true. This podcast probably won't come out until like Wednesday, though. So you're a number of days away from having a good day. Happy belated good day. We hope hope it was a good day. We hope that your good day has become a good week. Yeah. Actually, one thing that derails this theory that was never brought up is... uh, Kim, um, Ice Cube's eventual wife, mm. was, I think, something like eight months pregnant at uh, at that time on January 20th, 92. So probably she wasn't looking to, you know, just booty call hook up. I mean, I don't think you can definitively say that. I, I guess I can't. All right. The spotlight. Let's get into the Super Bowls of the 90s, starting things off in January 1990, where on the 28th, the San Francisco 49ers faced off against the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 24 in New Orleans. The 49ers fucked shit up with a 55-10 final score. This remains the most lopsided game in Super Bowl history. San Francisco's 55 points were the most ever scored by one team, and their 45-point margin of victory was again the largest ever. It's a lot of numbers on one team and a lot fewer numbers for the other. And uh, as I'm sure some of you know, Joe Montana, who uh, was at this point playing in San Francisco, was named Super Bowl MVP. Neat. So the halftime show was a salute to both New Orleans and the 40th anniversary of the comic strip Peanuts. Best. Weird. Uh, the show featured performances by clarinetist Pete Fountain, fiddle player Doug Kershaw, and singer Irma Thomas, all Louisiana natives. Three local college bands joined in the performance. The finale featured a float that was dressed up as a riverboat that rose several stories high. The float was so huge that one of the goalposts had to be moved so it could be put on the field. So the cost of a 30-second ad for this Super Bowl at the beginning of the 90s was a humble $700,000. That seems so cheap. Oh yeah, adjusted for inflation, this is $1.3 million. Okay, a little less cheap. Still pretty cheap. Not bad. So moving on to Super Bowl 25. The game was held in Tampa Stadium, uh, which is in Tampa Bay, Florida, as you can imagine. January 27th, 91, between the Buffalo Bills and New York Giants. Before we continue, just know that talking about all of these Bills Super Bowls (laughs) is upsetting to my core. Yeah. This is the one where Whitney Houston sang the Star Spangled Banner. We don't really use the word spangled anymore. That's just a brief aside. For yeah, you. do we? I mean, how often is the word spangled used to describe anything? Like Only when you mispronounce spaniel. Cocker spangler. Yeah, the, uh, co- the cocker that was, spangled dog. That was a terrible joke, and I apologize. It's It, were, it resonates with oh, me, God. so that like means the, it is an awful joke. Every word you said there, continuing to talk about it, is just an arrow to my but, heart. The Giants defeated the Bills by a score of 20-19, womp womp, winning their second Super Bowl. It is the only Super Bowl to this day having been decided by one point. Uh, The halftime show, which we've talked about, was a small world salute to 25 years of the Super Bowl. This one was produced by Disney and featured over 3,500 local kids, all from different ethnic backgrounds because Disney, and a performance by boy band New Kids on the Block, who were still new and also kids at the time. And something about a block, too. There's a block. 
Uh, it's a really strange mix of wartime patriotism that could only happen on a football field. If you want to know more, again, this was one of our very first spotlights back in season one. Yeah, so call back to us, I guess. Uh, some guy named Otis Anderson, the running back of the New York Giants, was named this game's MVP. So let's hop on to Super Bowl 26. No one's going to be upset, though. The Bills are back in town. Yay! This time it's January 26, 1992, and they're up against the Washington, they're still named this in 2018, Redskins. The Redskins defeated the Bills by a score of 37-24. to Of course they did. The Bills became the second team after the Minnesota Vikings to lose back-to-back Super Bowls. They lost in Super Bowl uh, 8-9. and Hashtag, it gets worse. Oh, God. So Mark Rapine, quarterback of the not-Bills, was named MVP, but he is Canadian, so at least we have that to comfort us in the cold and dark night. STS-42, a space shuttle discovery mission, was in orbit during the game. A live downlink between the Metrodome uh, and Discovery happened during the pregame show. Three of the mission's seven crew members demonstrated a human coin toss in space. That's so cool. That's, That's pretty good. I like it. So the halftime show was titled Winter Magic and featured a celebration to the winter season and the Winter Olympics. This happened in Minnesota, right? Yep. Okay. In addition to the dancers and performers, as well as the Pride of Minnesota marching band, former Olympic champions Brian Boitano and Dorothy Hamill skated on sheets of Teflon that were embedded on the tops of platforms that were placed on the field for the show. Gloria Stefan also performed during the show's finale. You may recognize the name Brian Boitano because of a, it's not a pivotal episode of South Park, but it was a good one. Yeah. What would Brian Boitano do if he were here right now? So good. All right. Enough of oh, that. Oh. Quick aside with before we get. Yeah, let's do it. Did you know that in 2009, Brian Boitano had a Food Network TV show called What Would Brian Boitano Make? What? Apparently. I couldn't find the theme song. But apparently it riffs off of that. Oh, God. Yeah, All so right. he's... I, I love that. He bought. He fully bought into the joke. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so now we're on to Super Bowl twenty seven, where nothing gets better and everything's fucking garbage. So this one took place on January 31st, 93, at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. It features the Dallas Cowboys up against the ever-defeated Buffalo Bills, who once more lost the game by a score of uh, 17 to the Cowboys' 52. So... A little lopsided again. Oh, yeah. The Bills become the first team to lose three consecutive Super Bowls, but wait, there's more. Country music singer Garth Brooks sang the national anthem. Brooks very nearly did not perform the anthem. He left the stadium less than an hour before he was slated to sing because of a dispute with NBC regarding a video he asked them to air for the song called We Shall Be Free. Television producers spotted rocker Bon Jovi in the crowd and were prepared to have him perform the anthem. Seriously, this actually happened. This is amazing. This is the best, until Brooks was finally coaxed back into the stadium. He probably found out that Bon Jovi was there and then realized that... He was going to get upstaged. Yeah. Oh, this was... Sorry, we we should take you back. This was a point in time where people seemed to enjoy Bon Jovi. I don't get it either. Hey, it's now or never. Oh, God. I ain't gonna live forever. He was halfway there. I'm not going there. Yeah. So the coin toss, ooh, featured former Bills running back, OJ Simpson. Who? He's a little, a little guy. I've he, never uh, heard, I've never. He drove a Ford Bronco. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he was known for driving a Ford Bronco. What kills me about this, that uh, was poor choice was of a... wording. But I'm gonna roll with it though. What kills me about this is that I really like Ford Broncos. I love that boxy SUV look and I feel like he's just ruined them. He OJ personally ruined Ford Broncos? I think so. Yeah, so he, co- he he tossed the coin. Yep. Yeah. 
That's nice. After Super Bowl 26, where a special episode of In Living Color broadcast by future NFL broadcaster Fox during the game's halftime show successfully attracted viewers away from the Super Bowl telecast on CBS. So viewership actually fell by 22% over halftime. And the NFL then began the process of heightening the profile of the halftime show in an effort to attract mainstream viewers. Radio City Productions, who would produce the halftime show, attempted to court Michael Jackson to serve as the headlining act. Which they did. Jackson's set included a medley consisting of Jam, with the beginning of Why Do You Want a Trip on Me, Billie Jean, and Black and White. The finale featured an audience card stunt, man, always the card Best. stunts, and a video montage showing Jackson participating in various humanitarian efforts around the world and a choir of 3,500 local Los Angeles children singing We Are the World, later joining Jackson as he sang his, sing- his single, Heal the World. So the halftime show was a major success, marking the first time in Super Bowl history that the ratings actually increased between halves of the game. Okay, Super Bowl 28 really starts to highlight the shortcomings of Roman numerals. So 28 is XXVIII. Yeah, it's, we've got, it's a lot. We've got six characters where you could have two. You know, at what, at what point do you say enough's enough Romans? Anyway, the game was played on January 30th, 94, and it was fucking stupid. Uh, this was held at the Garbage Dome, sorry, the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, once again, lost to the Cowboys. Bit of a theme going here. 13 to 30, that's four times in a row. God damn it. Has that been done since? No, of course not. Okay. No one sucks that bad. But it's like, but they're, like, you have to still be good. Great. To get to you the have Super to be, Bowl four years in a row. You have to be great. And then shit the bed. They had so many Hall of Famers come from these years, none of whom won a Super Bowl because, brah. To honor the 25th anniversary of the New York Jets upset win in Super Bowl three, that game's MVP, former Jets quarterback Joe Namath, joined the coin toss ceremony. Uh, the halftime show was titled Rockin' Country Sunday and featured country music stars Clint Black, Tanya Tucker, Travis Tritt, and Winona Judd. The show's finale included a special appearance by Naomi Judd, who joined Winona in performing the Judd single, Love Can Build a Bridge, to which everyone eventually joined in. The Judds are the only people I've heard of in this list. Uh, I've also heard of Travis Tritt. Never heard of him. Sounds made up. Doesn't matter. Let's see. We're moving on to Super Bowl 29. The Roman numerals are a little bit more condensed now. Uh, It was an all-California game taking place in Florida on January 19th, 1995, with the San Francisco 49ers up against the San Diego Chargers. The 49ers defeated the Chargers with a score of 49 to 26, becoming the first team to win five Super Bowls. Kathy Lee Gifford, but not Regis, sang the national anthem. So the halftime show was titled, wow, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Disney once again produced this to promote their Indiana Jones adventure attraction at Disneyland that opened later that year. It featured actors playing Indiana Jones and his girlfriend, Marion Ravenwood, who were raiding the Vince Lombardi trophy from the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. The show also had performances by Tony Bennett, Patti LaBelle, and jazz trumpeteer Arturo Sandoval. Yeah, Arturo Sandoval. Never heard of him. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Not, I'm not up on my jazz trumpeteers. And also the Miami Sound Machine. The show ended with everybody singing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? From The Lion King. Which very, very strange. I would have enjoyed that. Well, that's one part of a Super Bowl I think I actually would have got into. Oh, God. So we're halfway through the 90s. A 30-second ad 
is one point one five million. It, that's I assume in nineteen ninety dollars. That's nineteen ninety five dollars. Okay. Yeah, I didn't do. So we're up from seven hundred thousand. That's okay. Super Bowl Triple X, the sexy one, starring Vin Diesel as Xander Cage, a thrill-seeking extreme sport enthusiast, stuntman, and rebellious athlete turned reluctant spy for the National Security Agency. I mean, a football game between the Dallas Cowboys and Pittsburgh Steelers. That yeah. was a long way to go for that joke. Oh yeah. It's okay. So the game was <laughs> So the game was played on January twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six at Sun Devil Stadium. Sun Devil Stadium. What Yeah. In Arizona. Arizona? Yeah. Sun Devil. Why do you name it that's like just there there's too much hubris in this. Arizona is already hot enough. Do you really need to remind people of that with Sun Devil? Well anyway. Uh, it was the first time the Super Bowl was played in the Phoenix metropolitan area. The Cowboys defeated the Steelers with a score of 27-17. to 17. Some weeks before Super Bowl 30, it was also found that some proxy servers were blocking the website for the event. The reason? The game's Roman numeral XXX, triple X, is usually associated with Xander Cage, a thrill-seeking extreme sports enthusiast, stuntman, and rebellious athlete turned reluctant spy for the National Security Agency. I mean pornography. Diana Ross performed during the halftime show titled Take Me Higher, a celebration of 30 years of the Super Bowl. The show featured a number of her songs along with pyrotechnics, special effects, and again, stadium card stunts. <laughs> the show ended with Ross singing Take Me Higher from her 1995 and 19th studio album of the same name. And then she was taken uh, from the field in a helicopter, as one does. That's... Okay. Yeah. All right. Super Bowl 31. It's 1997 now, specifically January 26th, where the New England Patriots and the Green Bay Packers are fighting it out for that large bowl that Vince Lombardi once ate the world's largest Caesar salad from, if I know football. You do. So they're back in New Orleans, Louisiana, for this one. This was the first Super Bowl broadcast by Fox under its contract to carry NFL games. By a large margin, it was the highest rated program that aired in the network's history at the time. Yeah. Okay. Play-by-play announcer Pat Summerall and color commentator John Madden, both previously of CBS, called the game. Oh, Madden. The pregame show featured Los Del Rio, who performed their multi-platinum smash hit, Macarena. Oh, God. I think what I'm really learning... We have not mentioned the Macarena much in this history of this podcast. Yeah, intentionally. I think what I'm learning is that, like, if you look at all the Super Bowls, they're just a highlight of cringe. Yeah. So, yeah, the Macarena, the dance craze that became a worldwide summer hit... Also, uh, R&B singer Luther Vandross sang the national anthem. Okay. Uh, So the halftime show here was titled Blues Brothers Bash and featured actors Dan Aykroyd, John Goodman, and Jim Belushi as the Blues Brothers. The show highlighted blues music and also had performances by ZZ Top and singer James Brown. We are almost done. Super Bowl 32 took place on January 25th, 1998 in the Qualcomm Stadium, San Diego, California. With the Denver Broncos defeating the Green Bay Packers 31-24, Terrell Davis, running back for the Broncos, was the real MVP. Wow. (laughs) So the pregame show, narrated by actor and comedian Phil Hartman, this was like four months before his death. Oh, God. I know. Celebrated the music and history of California. Singer Jewel, at the time of writing this, I then started listening to Jewel, later sang the national anthem. The halftime show was titled A Tribute to Motown's 40th Anniversary, and it featured Boys to Men, Smokey Robinson, Queen Latifah, Martha Reeves, and The Temptations. Neat. Cool. Okay, let's finish off 90 Super Bowls with Super Bowl 33. Triple X, Triple I. The Atlanta Falcons. We're up against the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I hear that President 
Clinton is going to be watching with his wife, Hillary. That's a Simpsons gag, you guys. We did it. <laughs> so the Broncos defeated the Falcons by the score of 34-19, winning their second consecutive Super Bowl with quarterback John Elway being named MVP. At 38 years old, Elway became the oldest player at the time to be named Super Bowl MVP with Tom Brady uh, crushing that last year at the age of 39. Is it really crushing it if it's by one year? No. Like, if Tom Brady was, like, 49, that's impressive for many reasons. Yeah, true. Well, he might do 40 this year. We'll see. I thought he was retiring. That man will never retire. He'll be hit and just disappear one day like a Jedi. Like, he'll just become one with the field? Yeah, just his, like, pads and shit will drop, and you'll wonder where Tom Brady went. Sounds about right. Yeah. So the pregame show was narrated by actress Tori Spelling, and it depicted the adventure of a Caribbean cruise from its festive departure to its journey to exotic destinations. I don't what get it fuck? at all. Okay. Um, it also included a performance by Kiss, along with their trademark elaborate costumes and theatrical pyrotechnics. This is the pregame show. I need to go back and watch this. Yeah. So Cher later sang the national anthem. I can get behind that too. That was difficult to say. Yeah. The halftime show was titled A Celebration of Soul, Salsa, and Swing, as of course relates to football, and featured Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Stevie Wonder, and Gloria Estefan. The cost at the end of the 90s for a 30-second ad was $1.6 million. If you're doing the math at home but are struggling because you don't have that many fingers, that is $900,000 more than it was at the beginning of the decade. In 2017 dollars, uh, that's only $2.35 million, and now the price is $5.02 million. Yeah, and that was for last year, so... it's It only it's goes up. It's probably going to be over there. Also, shout out to all our listeners with 1.6 million hands. You did it. Yeah. You you did it. This one's for you. Oh, wow. So impressive. So that was all the Super Bowls in the 90s. A little quick overview of some of the shit that happened in January. Back in the 90s, you had something to look forward to. Even if you don't watch football, you can just like go out and drink a lot. And uh, a lot of other people are doing the same thing. Yeah. Order some pizza. Order some wings. I think yeah. there was one Super Bowl in the 90s where, you know, I went somewhere, obviously didn't drink. But had a lot of pizza and wings, and that was See, cool. Pizza and wings make everything better. Oh, yeah. I, I know this isn't quite '90s related, but Prince was a musician in the '90s. There's a really cool, like, ten minute YouTube video um, about the show that Prince put on at the Super Bowl a few years ago. Go watch that; it's super good. Neat. Yeah, I think that's all we got time for. We'll get into hit clips next week or something else entirely different. That's kind of what we do with this podcast yeah figure it out as we go okay so you can find us online we are uh stuck in the 90s podcast.com you can email us if you want to be a ten dollar sponsor throw us ten dollars or the equivalent value in tacos we will plug your wares stuck in the 90s podcast at gmail.com for details yeah. we are goddamn downright active on social media eh, friends you are mostly hey, i got a picture today to post though. it's a it's a team effort yeah we bought crazy carpets. Well, I bought crazy carpets. Wow, you didn't even chip in for the crazy carpets? Oh, you paid me back. She paid me back. Ooh, boom, roasted. She bought you food, you monster. Okay, well, Chris is a monster and a liar, so you can email us about that too, and uh, maybe we'll read your hate mail on air next week. That'll spice things up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We never actually get hate mail, despite having asked for it an unusual number of times. Yeah, that's... Uh... Well, maybe that's why. Maybe. Uh, otherwise, though, you can find us on Instagram at Suck in the 90s Podcast, same with Facebook, and we're on Twitter at SIT90s if that is more your jam. Yeah, if you like to retweet things. I wonder, have we, can we do the 240 characters yet? Oh, we can, yeah. Yeah? Yep. 
Let's do a 240 character tweet sometime. Okay, we can do that. Yeah. Otherwise, um, though. Um, we got nothing else to say. We'll see you guys next week. Stay warm. Stay toasty. Stay... Frosty? Stay frosty. Okay. Stay golden, yeah. pony boys and girls. For now. The podcast is, is now, now super. Damn it. Eh, we were close. Someday.